Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's Horror Video Game Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And for this month's edition of Horror Bites, in which Neil and I each highlight four bite-sized indie titles, we have a new bevy of horror titles to chat about that can typically be completed in less than an hour. And while some of these titles may be free, we believe it's important to support the developer's hard work. So, if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages. Well, Neil, it's our favorite time of the month, that being uh, Horror Bites, and we get to chat about, you know, a new crop of indie titles that we've stumbled upon that have been recently released. And, you know, as always, it's always fun to kind of dive into something just based off of whatever that Itch.io picture is, right? You kind of like, yeah. oh, maybe that might be something I'm interested in, or you kind of just gleam at the type of game it is, whether it's browser-based or download-based, and it's always fun to kind of just dive in not knowing a lot about it, which you know, is a rarity these days, right? Yeah. We're so like inundated with not only press releases and just like seeing videos on YouTube or they pop up on Twitter. And it's always nice to kind of have a selection to choose from that you know nothing about. And more often than not, we end up finding things that surprise us in more ways than one. Yeah. Not the first time I've mentioned this, but it does have that, you know, back at the video store, blind purchasing something for for rental just because you like the look of the box or whatever it says on the back and just going from there and taking that gamble and finding all these wonderful delights and yeah i mean it's hard to get that in mainstream stuff in any form you know and so having this is it's good i like that about it i think something else i've noticed as well now it's just how much more itchio is like in everything, you know, for me now, it's like not just because of this, but you know, for writing, writing for Dread XP, I end up revisiting some of the games we've, you know, caught on with or finding new ones. And so, yeah, I'm browsing there, not just the once a month to do this. I, I'm just like generally going, oh, well, what could I do this? See if I can find something that really works for what I want to do. And so, yeah, and then, you know, the kids being involved with that and, like having their own ideas of stuff it's yeah been nice it feels like a whole different world to the rest of what i'm doing with gaming you know it's like i find my mainstream gaming now is very much like i'll play the things that i'm comfortable with i'll do whatever i'm doing for reviews and they're usually just done after that whereas this is like yeah it feels a lot closer to what gaming was for me you know back in the day Albeit with more choice <laughs> and, <laughs> and a lot less expensive, but um, but yeah, it, it's nice to, to see the way it has grown in in my life. I suppose you know this year, which is probably helped by the podcast being such a key component. Of that. Yeah, I mean, it definitely has become ingrained in my you know daily routines, if you will. Like when I sit down at my computer first thing in the morning. Typically, I go right to Itch.io, you know, I'll have my morning coffee or whatever and just browse through. And, you know, you see that there's tip chances are a handful of games that weren't there when you went to bed the night before. And, you know, it is also the type of thing where time being, you know, such a factor now and how much time do you have to dedicate yeah. to one thing or another. And it's more appealing to me the older I get where I can sit down and play something for <laughs> 15, 30 minutes, if that have some semblance of an experience that even if it is familiar, it's bite-sized or maybe it's doing something in a different way or something that justifies, mm. you know, it being out there in the uh, in the ether of games and whatnot. But uh, it definitely always is 
a treat to get to come together and share some of the games that we've experienced that really, you know, are standouts seemingly every single month, right? You yeah. know, there's always going to be an outlier here or there, but for the most part, you know, our our success rate is higher than our miss rate. But let's get right into it. Um, let's get started with your first pick of the month of August. Uh, yes, yeah, so I'm going to go with Winter Coffin by Hot Slate, which um, is probably the least horror-y of the things we've picked this month uh, in general, but the name may suggest different. Um, but still... Um, Basically, the idea is you're a hunter trapped in a blizzard and you have to make it back to camp before you freeze to death. Yeah, and a game I very much like, you know, that does that sort of thing is The Long Dark. So straight away I was thinking, okay, be cool to see how that's done in small form uh, with this, like this, in a short order. And yeah, it does a fair bit of that quite well. You know, there's it has atmosphere not nailed down i think especially in the sense of like it's music that they've written themselves and performed themselves and the ambient noises are really doing a lot of the heavy lifting here and really covering the tracks for some of the the lesser parts of the game it it is a lot of just walking around to find what you've got to find and being lost and that can get trudging but as an idea I like I like the idea of it. I think it has something to it because of that, you know, the atmosphere that they've built up for it. I wish it had a bit more consistency with the setting where it you know, it's a blizzard but they have palm trees. And I, I get that that may just be a choice that they were going for, like it, it's odd, it feels strange and yeah, that worked. It does feel a bit bizarre to sort of be going through this and it's like, oh, here's these, you know, like sand dunes, sort of those tufty little bits you get in sand dunes. And here's palm trees. And it's like, but this is snow. Um, I was reading like some of the comments uh, underneath it from the, the people that made it, basically saying, you know, they didn't have to code any of this. They were just like, they'd find workarounds to get like the frosting effect and all that and the sounds. And it has that, you can see that. And I think the admittance of that may be, you know, warm to it a bit more just because it's like, well, they're not saying that they were trying to do this you know, meticulous thing. They, they worked around issues and time they may have not had and made something that for the most part works. You know, I think it may not be the best example of that working, but I think for what it is, yeah, it does all right. How do you find it? Yeah, I largely felt the same. I mean, I was taken with the large scale. You know, it is a large environment that you're wandering around exploring. The sound design does a good job of evoking that, you know, lost in the wilderness. You hear these wolves howling. It kind of is a little ominous and eerie. Hearing the wind whipping around your ears and whatnot. And, you know, you have a bar at the bottom that basically the longer that you're, you know, trudging around lost... Mm. It starts to say it goes from like, oh, it's cold. And now it's like, oh, it's becoming uh, increasingly chilly out or these things that kind of just act as a timer basically for, okay, add a little bit of hesitancy to that. But, you know, that's that might be giving it a little too much credit just in terms of, you know, it counting down. Um, I did think it was kind of cool how you kind of can see the, I guess, snow on the screen or imparting your vision and whatnot. Um, which adds, again, a little more hesitancy to you trying to like actually find 
where you're supposed to be going. Uh, but this was one that, you know, I didn't actually be, was not able to finish just because I was following the signposts that are giving you, you know, a general idea of what direction to head in. Yeah. And one of them I was following and it just sent me right into a wall and then I backtracked <laughs> and it was just like an arrow that was pointing right there. And I was like, well, wait, what the hell? And so, you know, I, I did some exploring for about 20 minutes and then I kind of was like, okay, I think I got the gist of this. Um, it was also strange because I came across and maybe this is why they consider it to be horror, but there was uh, like a glowing green orb that I came across mm. that was like hovering above uh, a crater. And so I like walked through that and I didn't know if there was supposed to be, you know, some type of effect that happens or if that maybe warms you up or something. And then I also found like a destroyed fort yeah. at one point. Um, and I was like, oh, I'll, I could have used a few more landmarks and, you know, whether or not it was uh, breaking the sort of grounded nature of the predicament or not, like, it would have been cool to see them kind of go off into the surreal a little bit, maybe kind of replicate the idea that, you know, you're in the wilderness, you're freezing, you're like potentially hypothermia or something, and then seeing how the world changes to that. But it was a whole lot of walking in the snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do put, you know, there's like a fantasy element to it. And for a while I was there thinking, well, where is it? Right. It, unless the, the fantasy element is the fact that there are palm trees. <laughs> but, you know, it as you say, you get there and you have these little nods to things, but yeah, it's a lot of barren wasteland and that, that's fine. But I'd like to, like you say, have something a bit more to it in when you find and discover these things. It, you know, it does feel very much proof of concept in that regard that you are just, absolutely, uh, which is yeah, fine. It, it could work very well end up being that way once you get down to it. But you know, it's, I always liken these to sort of like writing a short story that you then want to go and make into something bigger. You know, it's, you've had the idea, you want to do the quick punchy version of it to get it out there. And then now you've done it, you've got the confidence to try and build on it and make, you know, flesh it out and make it something more. And yeah, that's part of the development learning process, I suppose, is that you do have that in you that you can do these short little experiences and make something bigger you know with it down the line um a keen thing i've noticed actually this month and this game made me think of it was that um you know we come across games that try to use like expanses of space to disorientate you know and you know, let's be frank here you know pad out the runtime somewhat and in most cases, it's a very, it's, you have a maze-like environment. It's dark, as a game we'll mention later, that does this very well. But, yeah, you've really got to know why you're having this disorientating feeling and how to really execute it well. And, you know, it's the majesty of the Blair Witch Project for me, you know, where you have this, even though you aren't in the situation, you get the sense of why it's, fucking them up because they're constantly looping around everything looks the same and you can relate to it because the forest is very much like that that you can just get turned around very easily and not realize it like parts of Wintercoffin kind of get that where you think you're just moving in a straight line and all of a sudden you look behind you and like, well how's how am I against a flat surface here when I wasn't there before and it does make you think am I in the same space have I moved on at all or am I just looping around um like if you hug to the wall you see fuck all yeah you, you just 
it, it, which is very maddening, but also quite effective. But then other times you're just like, yeah, lots of nothing for ages and it just doesn't have the payoff that you can have in a more scripted, tighter area. I think that's where the problem lies is if you're trying to sort of up the surreal factor, you need a little bit more scripting, which, you know, as I said, they sort of mentioned they didn't really do coding here. So I understand that, that why that's not part of it. Yeah, it, it probably would be more effective if it had a bit of that. Yeah, it's for sure one of the, I suppose, saying it's rough is not fair because like you said, it's very much a proof of concept, but mm. it is the proof of concept that despite the limitations, I could definitely see it flourishing into something that could, you know, if they flesh out some of the things that we've talked about or they've worked on them a little bit, you know, mm. a little more fine tuning and polishing, it could be something similar to, you know, um, what was the game that you mentioned? The Long, long Dark. The Long Dark. Yeah. Um, and maybe going in a more horror-oriented nature with that type of story in this um, or exploration of the environment could could be something cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it, it's different enough from that in what it's doing that I think it deserves to at least have that recognition. But, um, yeah, it, yeah, it's obviously the go-to thing that in my head is straight away The Long Dark because – that really does make horror out of something normal and grounded mm. in terms of like, well, you've got to survive out here and the environment is never forgiving you. It's never giving you a moment's peace. You're always having to scrap and salvage and fight your way through in various ways. And yeah, so a little more of that in this would go a long way, I think. Um, how about you then? What's your first pick for the month? Yeah, so my first pick is going to be The Man in the Attic by Gone North, and that's mm -hmm. available on Itch.io. And it begins very much in sort of a creepypasta sense, right? It starts with some text that's kind of establishing, okay, this protagonist gives us an anecdote from their childhood about they had this recurring nightmare that there was a man standing over them while they were, while they were sleeping. The man was watching them. They would see him kind of like around the house. And then it kind of goes into, okay... So now the protagonist has his brother's family over and then the little girl, his niece, kind of comes screaming from upstairs saying, oh, there was a man in the house. Hmm. The man was looking at her. And so everybody goes up to investigate and of course they don't find anything. And then the game or the experience rather kind of picks up once they've left and you're kind of going through the motions of cleaning up the house. And of course, things become uh, very creepy in the traditional sense of uh, – you know, that would go along with the premise of there is potentially a man in the attic or in the house uh, without kind of spoiling the end part of it when things really ratchet up with the climax. Um, I will say, you know, this is a fairly straightforward experience and definitely not unsimilar to some of the other ones that we've played. Mm -hmm. uh, but I will say that, you know, it does enough with what it kind of has in the scope of the experience in that it does craft a creepy atmosphere, I think, through some of that flavor text, right? There's a couple yes. of instances where you're reading messages or, you know, just the protagonist thoughts. And it does a good job of setting the stage, setting a re relationship with other characters. And, you know, it does tap into sort of almost like a folklore nature, if you mm. will, the idea that there's something from their past that they haven't thought about. But when they do start to think about it, or things begin to happen that kind of trigger those memories, it's as if that was something that happened the other day instead of from a childhood because it just it feels very personable. It feels very immediate. Um, and I think that the experience does a good enough job of crafting 
a creepy atmosphere. It uses the music really well, especially one particular section when you're investigating a strange noise. The music ratchets, ratchets up in a way that it feels like something right out of a movie, kind of, and it has really great buildup. Um, yeah, you know, other than that, there isn't much to say. It t- takes less than five minutes to play through. I hesitate to call it a one-trick pony, but it's an experience <laughs> that chances are you have experienced if you've played these bite-sized type uh, games. But at the same time, I think it's fairly polished for what it is. Hmm. How did you get on with it? Yeah, I think that, uh, as you say, it doesn't do anything special in its setup. It is very much a by-the-numbers thing. But one of those things we've mentioned before is that you can almost call these short games like scenes, you know, the typical horror movie scenes. And like any horror movie scene, you can play out the same idea in many different ways to different effectiveness levels. And that's how I always end up judging it. It's like, it's unfair to say, well, I played this game first, so this one shouldn't get the benefit of the doubt because of that. Um, I think, you know, despite the fact that it isn't, doing anything special in that setup. The execution of it has those interesting wrinkles to it. Um, the decision to keep the player slow moving, you know, it, whilst feeling like one of those things to fatten up the playtime, it also gives you that sluggish movement of a dream, which kind of taps into the idea of what this is all about. And you know, I like that it ends with you know, this line about, like, thank you for playing this game about my a personal fear you know so it goes straight back they've made a game very much based on what they were scared of when they were younger and something that bugged them which is the you know you can see a figure here there or whatever anywhere that doesn't look natural in the dark you know that, that's the thing that goes from childhood even to adult times where you sort of second guess yourself looking at certain areas where you think that kind of looks odd and um like even I had this recently where like we had when we were having work done the Hoover was in the hall like um, and it was slightly uh, an angle where the light reflected and it kind of looked like a like human shape like that mm. and the door f- to, from the kitchen into the, the uh, hall is basically like got glass panels so you can see stuff out of the room yeah, into the land into the hall and so, like, the amount of times during that time I sort of come out into the kitchen at night, see that, and you could just see someone, look, it looked like someone was standing there. And it's crazy <laughs> how bad it, and, and despite, you know, a very logical brain thinking about it, it gets you because, fuck, because it's just not expected. And, yeah, I like the idea of a game that gets that, that you know, why couldn't it be there? Why Why is it I never see it when I want to see it? It's because, you know, it's just your brain filling in the blanks of what it thinks is there. You know, like that. This takes it maybe a little more supernatural than that. But, yeah, I, I think it was cool that they tapped into that very specific, very common idea. And, yeah, really made a good go of it. How about you, though? What was your uh, next pick for the month? So my next pick for the month, is Our Lady of the Drowned Lake Zero Reporter, uh, which is by Monumental. And this is a 2D top-down fishing game, effectively, um, where you 
so you're basically going up against this supposed folkloric denizen of rivers and lakes called a, I want to say a caboclo. Um, and people are supposed to be able to coexist with this. And it's like, you make sacrifices to it and appease it. And it works both ways. It can be vengeful. It can be, you know, helpful. Um, but there are these tales of it, you know, having a gambling game, so to speak, where you can keep trying to land bigger targets from the lake whilst gambling on the chance that you may enrage it. And that's basically what this game is. This, this reporter goes in for a local news channel. The, you know, the aesthetic when you start is very much that sort of scuzzy 80s, 90s, like local TV sort of vibe. So taking that sort of VHS-style horror vibe and pushing it into a top-down game that's also like, you know, local cable TV sort of thing was a nice touch. You know, I like that. But yeah, so each time you find a spot in this lake which would use these red marks, you can fish for whatever's in there. So... But depending on what the choices you make, which is either to like go for it aggressively, go for it normally, observe or just ignore, it impacts a chance of like uh, basically upping like a noise meter. And the more you do one thing or the other, the higher that percentage goes. And, you know, the idea is not to go 100% and go crazy with that. And yeah, it's it taps into something really cool about you know, bodies of water and like being in the dark like this is where like, you know, we had to do this after dark. So we don't know how this is going to turn out. And you just spot these like little, you know, shapes in the water that aren't moving, but like just don't, because you can't see the full depth of it. They sort of catch you off guard meaning, oh, okay, what's that? Who's that saying? And yeah, just, you feel like you're constantly on edge of, oh, when is it going to be? When are we going to make the wrong move? and the idea is you're supposed to collect these objects and then decide what will help when you know this creature finally comes for you and you know depending on what you do it will or it won't and so yes it has a puzzle aspect to us i wasn't expecting it to be anything like that i very much expected the usual sort of oh like we're gonna go through here click this bit story click that bit story and then you know scene but uh, yeah, it took on a very different approach. I was yeah, quietly impressed with what it did. How about you? Yeah, I thought that the gameplay, while it didn't necessarily blow me away, I found it to be hmm. not only just competent, but it felt very refined. You know what I mean? It felt like something that, oh, I could see this being an experience that could go on for a couple of hours just yeah. based off of, you know, simplistic but well-executed. It has that somewhat stealth animation uh, stealth system to it right where you're kind of rolling the dice on yes. how you want to fish whether or not you want to observe which you know there's zero percent chance of making noise do you want to kind of reel it in slowly do you want to reel it in very quickly that type of thing and then trying to guess basically what you are pulling up right yes. are you pulling up a fish or is it some type of item that might reveal more about the folklore aspect of the game and whatnot so from a gameplay standpoint, it was highly polished. And I would say the bigger standout for me was just, you know, the aesthetic and the visuals, like yes. you had said. You know, capturing that sort of, 
almost, almost like anybody that's watched local access TV. Sometimes if you catch that at like one in the morning or two in the morning, they've got these kind of bizarre programming that they mm-hmm. would never show during the waking hours of the day for majority of people. Yes. So this game captures that using like the surreal imagery at the very end, right? You get that almost Lynchian montage of very just strange assortment of images that play one after the other. And I believe that those are based on what you ended up uh, retrieving from the lake mm-hmm. before, you know, your noise meter goes to a hundred and essentially <laughs> the experience ends. Um, so yeah, I would say that it, was memorable in what it did. And I would have liked to have been maybe a little more fleshed out. But I'll, again, we'll say in terms of like a proof of concept, it was one of the more polished um, that I could see, you know, being expanded and having a bigger role in playing a story or even, you know, seeing how they could adapt those mechanics that are uh, introduced. Yeah, there's a lot going on here that really does work and you do kind of wish for a bit more to it to to make it full fat and work um but yeah it just shows ambition which is always a great thing and i just like the the fact they've tied it to this folklore which has real life sort of uh side to it as well so yeah it it's good you know i think it's does most of the things I like, you know, you just pointed out the things you see on TV at two o'clock in the morning is my personal sort of comfort zone. So this was straight away. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm always going to be a bit more biased and forgiving to uh, things that do that. So (laughs) (laughs) absolutely. So um, we're almost at the break point, but before we go there, what is your second pick? Yeah, so my second pick for the month is You vs. Cannibal Clowns by Fred Ricci, which is also available on Itch.io. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was made in 24 days, and it feels very much, I would say, like a cross between killer clowns from outer space yeah. and having the framework of like one of those Z-Doom mods, right? It's pretty straightforward. You have a flashlight and a pistol, and the player has to essentially find three keys to open three doors, which then allows them to beat the level Mm -hmm. and they're not, you know, gunning through hordes of uh, ghosts or uh, demons and whatnot, but killer clowns and Mm. or cannibalistic clowns. Um, And it's not just one clown that you kind of see repeated, you know, copy and pasting. It is 13 uniquely designed clowns, which I thought was a great example of taking a concept and sort of an aesthetical twist, but then having a great variety of enemy design. Which, you know, a majority of the types of scenes or bite-sized experiences that we've played, you know, they're made in a short period of time. And I would imagine that a great deal of time when you have like these game jams and whatnot, it's spent on ensuring the functionality of the gameplay. And it was really refreshing to see something that, you know, is functionally sound, of course, but at the same time, the developer went to great pains to not only, you know, have a variety of unique creature designs, but have an environment that has many different design facets to it or aesthetical facets. It doesn't just feel like, oh, it's the same sprites copy and pasted throughout. It feels like there's a good chunk of time dedicated to, okay, I'm going to present an environment that has different distinguishable areas. And then the types of foes that you're fighting look different from one another. So in that regard, you know, it's, pretty straightforward from the gameplay side of things. You've got a flashlight and you can shoot the clowns and whatnot, but 
from the sort of design or aesthetical aspect, I was really impressed with the amount of variety that's there. There's also some great sound design too. I thought that mm-hmm. the track that plays is probably what reminded me the most about Killer Clowns. It's kind yeah. of a cross between what you would think you would hear like Carney's playing at a tent event or something. And then of course you have the, uh, the more ominous sort of traditional horror uh, types of tracks mixed in with that. Um, I will say the probably the only thing about it that was a bit of a hang-up for me was that you can't actually kill the clowns. Every time you shoot them, it downs them or stuns them for a couple of seconds, which that I'm not necessarily opposed to, but some parts of the environment you can get stuck behind. Uh, it, yes. Rather, I should rephrase that. You don't get stuck in the environments, but if you go down a hallway and there's only one way out of that hallway, if a clown gets in front of you, it's pretty much game over. Um, Granted, it's not the biggest level to uh, get through. It only takes a handful of minutes, but that was one thing that I was like, if this was to be an expanded experience, it might have to be the type of thing where you need to have it that way. When the clowns get stunned, they completely drop to the ground and you can move through them momentarily or something like that, just to avoid that, uh, that type of hiccup. But uh, how did you get on with this one? So, yeah, you know, I pretty much mirror most of your sentiments there. That, you know, I think you can tell the focus very much went into, well, you know, we, we know an easy way to make it a first person shooter style game, but we want to make it stand out. So they, you know, put all the detail in that and made these, you know, the unique clowns and unique, the look of it. And again, does much the heavy, the heavy lifting here. Because, you know, as a game, it's, you know, personally, it's a bit of a shrug. You know, it's like I've played many Doom mods, Duke mods, whatever you want. And there are really inventive ones that clear, you know, in fairness, t- took a lot longer to make than this. So mm. it's, yeah, you can forgive that. They had to make a choice. Time is, you know, what it is when you're doing a game jam. So you do have to make those choices. And, so that that's theirs. They made the choice to make it look good, make it distinct, make it theirs. But as a game, very much feeling like anything, you know, like, you know, Z-tier sort of shooters, which is unfortunate because it does push down a lot of the good work they've done. It, it's always the conflict of anything from a game jam is that, is that you are going to have compromise. Uh, because <laughs> the weird thing about game jams are... They kind of have this weird mirror to what you know big budget games do. And you know, here's a time frame. This has to be done by then. You know, you've got X amount of time to do that. Anything that isn't done by then, you know, we'll have to wait till do till later, sort of thing. And you know, well, this is very much like a choice here rather than you know like a way of life. You know, it, it does unfortunately for those problems. So yeah, so even though I know that's why it still did sort of un- feel a little underwhelming as a game, which is you know, sad because I, I think it does do a lot really well with that look and the style and the sound. But yeah, the, that thing of getting caught in corners and the, the clouds not dying especially just felt, felt like it needed some kind of escalation on that, you know, like like oh, another weapon that would help you or, or that could take them out. But again fully appreciate why that isn't the case here but yeah you know, that's the weird thing of it as i said you can't help how you end up feeling even when you have 
the facts at hand. It just that's the vibe it gives you. I could definitely though see this being expanded more so, mm. becoming more of a project. Imagine what you know they could do with uh, with forty eight days of time or something like that, and just seeing it expanded. You know, I would say again, you know, highly polished. So wouldn't call it a proof of concept, but it's definitely something that you could see being expanded into a larger you know type of uh, uh, mod expansion, if you will, or just a full fledged standalone type of uh, hmm. experience. But yeah. If I was to play, you know, I don't mess around with a lot of the Z-Doom mod style things, but I would definitely change that if it was more in the sense of this. It has this more of a horror aesthetic to it uh, that kind of channels, again, like that uh, killer clowns from out of space yeah. uh, emphasis or homage, rather. Yeah, and in that regard, it's kind of missing the, the comedy, the silliness of it, you know, which... I would kind of like to if you were going to have that, if you had the chance to sort of expand on it. You know, can be horror, can be silly. Yeah, and then it really would sort of be the perfect sort of killer clown sort of homage, if you will. For sure. But uh, before we get into your next pick, I think we're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we will keep chatting horror bites for August. And we are back from our break. Neil, what was your next pick for the month? My next pick, ooh, what was it? It was the Catacombs, which I'm just, sorry, just trying to find the name on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> such is the way, which is by Pinworm, sorry. Um, yeah, I had the wrong, wrong tab, that was all. Uh, basically, it's a found footage game, uh, VHS camera sort of thing, blah, 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 first person. Uh, if you've ever watched the film As Above, So Below, you'll be fairly familiar with the idea of this which is going into the catacombs underneath Paris and some weird shit happening there and I mean that alone was like wow Selm you have sold me on this uh, mm. immediately um, because that, that, that is what it is you know, it is very much a direct homage to that you have the, the found footage camera stuff the, you know there's no dialogue it's very much a case of find what you find so We've we've seen this sort of thing done a lot, and as I was saying before, you get an idea of what does and doesn't work, or that and why you play it. And when we were talking earlier about uh, Winter Coffin and disorientation, this is disorientating in the right way. You know, it it's a bunch of tunnels, bunch of you know, corridors that make you feel like you're turning yourself around and not quite sure it's dark enough that you're never quite sure if you've gone the right way you can miss like an entire pathway just by not looking in the right direction at the right point and while that felt a little frustrating at first it really got me into the idea of where I was and made me feel unsure of what was going on around me mm. and then when it starts introducing like its horror aspect you know, you know, where you, you know, the idea is you're not alone. It gets a little more hit and miss, I think. Um, I think it's very good at the build up, not so good at executing the scares. But I think, yeah, the build up is so good and the atmosphere is so good that I was kind of like, mm, okay, so maybe that's something to work on. It still really did re- quite well at, at uh, capturing, you know, what it was homaging, if you will. Um, Despite you know the low res graphic style, it very much does it 
straight away bring to mind as above so below to me uh, and uh, as a sucker for that sort of genre of film anyway it it gets a pass from me in, in that regard but yes if it could do anything better it would have to be in executing that part of the game better i mean even straight down to the way it ends it just felt like a hmm yeah it's like that could have been better I know the flip side of that is you end up with something that's very sort of token sort of shock jump thing that, you know, the, the found footage genre has a lot of. I kind of would have accepted it more in this case if you were going to do anything because it would have been a decent payoff. Uh, you know, we've many times discussed the idea that, you know, jump scares are fine and often very good if they're done well. Yeah, and they have the right build up. This has the build up to excuse a jump scare, yeah, and to have a good jump scare, but it doesn't do it. It almost feels ashamed of itself, you know, in that regard. It doesn't want to go there, and I think as a result, it sort of compromises between doing neither. You know, it doesn't go for dread, doesn't go for full on shock. It just sort of happens and. That was a real shame for me because up till then I was really, really into what they were throwing down. How, what about you though? You've uh, obviously played this with me and you've got to have similar opinions, I feel, on this one. Yeah, I definitely appreciate the as above, so below setting, right? Mm. I think that, that they do a great job of making it very creepy. You see these, you know, the walls of uh, skulls and bones everywhere. Yes. Uh, you are kind of walking through these corridors that, you know, at the very beginning of it, you're kind of like in water and you the entire way through every step you take, you can kind of hear the splish splashing of water, which I think is effective, right? And kind of like making you hyper aware of paying attention to, oh, are those my footsteps? Is that somebody else's footsteps type of thing, which is great. I also think, though, from capturing the VHS camera style of recording, um, it felt very much like the recently released uh, found footage movie Incantation, right? And it does so, I think, in channeling that in the way in which they move the the uh, found footage perspective camera in the game. Like there are certain times where you have to do actions and instead of just like the camera staying how it is yes. and then you can see you doing the actions, like in one point he needs to pry crowbars off of uh, a wooden barrier. So he puts the camera down on the ground and kind of like turns it and everything. And I thought that that was incredibly immersive. Same when you have to climb through this little hole, like the screen goes dark because clearly doesn't want to break the camera while he's crawling, but you can still hear him like, yes. like writhing around, crawling through the thing and, you know, exerting himself. And then of course the battery has been low just before that point. And then you hear him like putting new batteries in getting that recharging blip. So it was far more immersive, I think, than some of those other games that have had that found footage perspective. And it kind of just feels like a filter most of the time. Mm. Whereas in this, it really does put you in the shoes of the subject that is behind the camera uh, in a way that I liked. I also have a pretty hilarious anecdote, and I don't know if you ran into this or not. In one instance, when you have to find that crowbar, I was like, okay, I don't know if I'm supposed to use this to, you know, bash through a barrier to get to the next point or what. So I walked into a pile of skulls that, you know, you see everywhere. 
and I actually fell through the environment. Did you have this problem? <laughs> no, no. Um, I had the opposite problem because I found what I needed to do and I didn't know where the crowbar was. So I had to oh. find the crowbar. So yeah, I was, uh, which just goes back to the idea of how disorientating it is that you can end up coming at it from those two different approaches, I suppose. But when I fell through the environment, it wasn't just like falling into gray matter. I fell into another environment that looks, that is, uh, like back rooms. It was oh. that, it was like an office setup that was those yellow walls and everything and running around. And there's actually a message there that the developer left that says, um, congratulations, you found. And then I couldn't read the next two words because it's so smudged, but <laughs> I assume that I had found basically the geometry of the world that you're exploring. And then the one that yeah. the player is supposed to be in is the one that, you know, has the set dressing and everything. Well, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if that's what I had found, but I thought that was kind of funny. Just like that's amazing. randomly experimenting. And then instead of being initially, like I had to start over of course, cause you're stuck down there, but instead of being annoyed that, you know, you're just in that kind of gray environment, looking up <laughs> at uh, the world I kind of had fr my freedom of running through this backroom style environment. That's probably the most interesting thing I've heard about a backrooms thing in games. <laughs> yeah, because as, a, as an Easter egg to cover up a glitch it yeah. is brilliant. Yeah, love that. <laughs> that, that's really smart. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. I will say, um, aside from that, you know, I did think that the ending was a little underwhelming and having that big scare moment, but the buildup again, like we've said, I thought was really well done again, because, mm. you know, they have created this environment and, you know, again, the pitter patter of your feet through the water, you do become to be begin to be a little paranoid, right? About yes. like, being hyper aware and hyper focused. And then when you actually do hear something, it is really nerve wracking to the degree that you kind of are like, Oh, should I look back and see it? Or should I just like book it to, you know, the next room and it's very yeah. easy to get lost. So it does a good job of, you know, instilling not only momentary hesitation, but then, you know, the urgency with which to get the fuck out of Dodge. I found it really interesting sort of having this um, discussion with my son who's you know, watching as I was playing this one. You know, the first time that came up I, and I heard like the, the pitter patter of, of her feet, I stopped because I was sure I didn't know if it was me or like a bug, which you know that is the most natural thing to do. You're like, well, hang on, what the fuck was that? So <laughs> I'll, I'll stop to hear it stop. And of course, doing that was stupid because you know that doesn't end well. But so he he sort of turned around and asked me, I was like, well, why did you stop when you heard the noise? It's like because in real life that's what you do. You would literally just stop to figure out if it was you or not. And when you're, you are you in that moment, you will do that. It's like, as a spectator, it's easier to look at it and go, oh, I get where this is going. Like that. And then we sort of got into this conversation about, you know, the next time it happened, like, oh, so running away is the easiest way to get away from it. And like that. It's like, yeah, it is. But the wrinkle of that is that you then have to sort of have an idea of where you're going, which in a dark place that is already really, you know, out to mess with your idea of where anything is adds a sort of nervous tension to things where you're like, shit, I don't know. Am I going to go the right way? It's the horror equivalent of like driving a car in burnout, you know, where you, at top speed where you're like having to do little twitch movements to sort of 
get through what is a very obvious and very normal corridor of things, but because you're tackling it in such a way that isn't normal, means you have to react a lot quicker than you normally would, you know? And so one fuck up means, you know, mangled bodies one way or the other. And I like that about that. You know, I like that idea of a panic that sets in where you can just be trapped by your own stupidity rather than just because the game decides that. So, um, yeah, it, it really does do that well. And just to go back to what you were saying about, you know, the tactile nature of the camera movement and, you know, and using the camera as a tool that um, you have to put down and pick up and do that. That really does help because the best found footage films understand this perfectly. You know, that they get that, you know, oh, the camera's got to be here for this, not there for that. And they don't just, you know, they may push your suspension of disbelief, so to speak, when, you know, people are still holding on to fucking cameras when they shouldn't be. <laughs> right. But but they do put them down, you know. And the worst ones are always the ones where you get, no, you would have put that camera down or chucked it at something about 16 times <laughs> by now. And it's like, and this isn't that. This is very much a case of, well, this is helping me. I can see through this camera it, and I'm documenting what's happening. So few games that use this aesthetic get that. And as you said, they use it as a crutch, so to speak, where it's like a nostalgia knock, where they're like, oh, yeah, look, this is like found footage because we've got this you know, VHS-style scan lines and whatever. I, I think of Sharktopia, whatever it was. Oh, Sharkphobia, see? I was going <laughs> <laughs> I think you made that last time. And, yeah, and how that was like, well, did it ever need to be a VHS-style game? Not really, but, you know, it's there. Here, it very much does feel like part of it, and it definitely helps that you know you have this film that comes back to that idea and, and where they've used it in a similar manner and been really effective. So yeah, it it does make those issues at the end a little easier to swallow because so much of it gets it right, and yet. I'm I'm just glad that it got made in that regard because I would hope more developers in this space learn from that when you're doing the whole VHS thing is that treat it like that. I understand why many don't because in some cases developers probably weren't born <laughs> while the you know, VHS tapes <laughs> and all that were being used. So it, it gets a lot harder to sort of understand what the appeal was of that and how they work and how they function. And yeah, it, it shouldn't just be a visual aesthetic. It, it should be like, no, no, you're documenting this and these are the things about it that work. So yeah, more games learn from this in that regard. That That's the big takeaway you can take from the catacombs. So with that in mind, what is your next pick? So my next pick is the Landlord by Redo Two Nine One, and you know I did, not that I picked this as a <laughs> some, like I have a great deal of love for landlords, uh, but 
I am in the process of moving, so it felt uh, like an appropriate pick for uh, for this I, month. I was going to ask you, is this going to be based on a true story in the future? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully not. Hopefully not, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> but Landlord, you play, surprise, surprise, a landlord uh, whose tenant has abruptly left the apartment you own, and now you have to go through the process of cleaning the unit before being able to put it back on the market. Uh, what begins fairly straightforward enough, you know, in picking up mm. garbage, quickly takes a demonic turn uh, as the apartment is haunted. Surprise, surprise. surprise. Uh, so this is a 2D side scroller. And like I said, a majority of the opening minutes of the game are you picking up trash. You walk around picking up cans and trash bags and this and that. You can also, you know, interact with other items that essentially will allow you to have some type of refurbishing effect on the unit light bulbs let you you know change lights you can turn lights on now Mm -hmm. if you pick up a mop you can mop you know very ominous graffiti that's on the wall that says (laughs) uh i see you or something of that nature Uh, you can also you know pick up a toolbox which then is used to patch uh holes in the wall that begin as holes and then begin uh to leak various types of ooze throughout the environment (laughs) which is of course unsettling and disgusting uh and then you know things become even more overtly you know demonic in nature and i'll save the uh, surprise for for people that want to check this one out i will say fully functioning there's nothing no downside there i will say though this one did feel a tad aimless um in Mm. terms of you know it there's no hand-holding you just you learn by interacting at the same time, though, sometimes when you go and fix something, if you return to another room, it will be broken again, essentially. So, like, I had to change the light bulb a couple of times in a room because it kept breaking out, which began to be a little monotonous. Uh, I should have caveated all this with saying that this is the developers. I believe it's their first game. Uh, and they, by their own admission, you know, are not super well-versed in making games, but I would say that that's not giving them enough credit because, again, this has a distinctive look. It, I think, is more functioning than you might assume of somebody's first attempt at making a game, right? Again, you know, that little uh, example that I gave with Standing, I think that, you know, it does a good job of instilling a clear objective in terms of, you know, you're going to interact with this apartment in various ways, you know, could use a little more fleshing out, but at the same time, it does include some creepy moments in it that were genuinely creepy. And it uses that environment in a way that I thought did a good job of, you know, capitalizing on that. You yeah. and I, you know, chatted about uh, Demons 2 and Apartment Horror, and I'm doing that for uh, one uh, as a theme for one of my other podcasts. Um, and I thought that this was just a nice accompaniment to that. Um, even if it was a tad aimless or it could have, you know, been a little more straightforward in saying, this is the series of things that you have to do to get through this just because <laughs> when you spend time kind of redoing the same thing over and over or you get to the point where you're like, okay, I want to trigger the next thing. Um, and it can take a while to experiment, especially when you have to go between multiple different rooms that are not connected to one another yeah. uh, just by going left to right. Uh, but what did you think of uh, Landlord? Um. So, yeah, um you know, cleaning up after a grisly mess isn't like a new thing in horror games. I think of like party hard or viscera cleanup detail, but I think the approach here does just enough to stand out as its own thing. 
Um, yeah, getting things in the right order was interesting. Um, I read afterwards um, the comments and like the dev sort of pointed out that you, you could pretty much do the game in three or a couple of minutes if you want, if you do things in the right order. Um, I won't say what they were exactly because they are spoilers um, for the game. But yeah, I, I think it it did the job fun. It's one of those things I, I have so little to say about it because it feels quite straightforward despite being not handholdy or anything that there isn't a great amount you can say without spoiling things. So yeah, it's like, I think it's competently done. I think you know, for an early effort, it's admirable. You know, I think we keep pointing this out, you know, to do any of this is remarkable in my eyes. I think the first thing I ever made as a game was nowhere fucking close to this. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I would be in no position to speak. You know, we are speaking from the, the, the lofty seats of critics in, a, in this regard. <laughs> and which is why I don't like to be sneering about things like this when, you know, it's the opposite end of the scale of, you know, what we covered last week. Yeah. You know, where it's like, here's something that's made by corporations to tick boxes and, use licenses and things like that i much much prefer to view raw ambition experimental things and and see how people sort of work out what they want to do you know and appreciating that about it and it feels so much more intimate as an experience when you can have that where you can just play something this personal you know Without it feeling personal, but you know that you know it's one guy, two guys, girl, guy, whatever, and they are setting out on this journey to discover what they can make in the world of games and using their pool of influences to do that. And so, even when a game like this is like Landlord is very. Yeah, okay, you know, and not really ripping up any trees, so to speak, in terms of what it's doing. It's so well put together that you can't help but sort of admire what's been done. Yeah, and I, I think the vibe is very much, um, there's a game called Uncanny Valley and obviously Lone Survivor that comes to mind in terms of like the visual style. And so, you know, that's a cool thing to copy. Not enough games copy that sort of vibe, strangely in the horror space so i was i was straight away quite happy with that yeah that is always gonna be my main takeaway that even in a game that i i just said i didn't have a lot to say about it i've just gone and said a lot about it because <laughs> there's always an angle you know there's always yeah. a way to look at it there's always a perspective where you can go yeah you know what i really i get this and i appreciate what they're going for so yeah you know hats it's off it's the sign of a good critic, right? I don't have anything to say, and then you miraculously find <laughs> I'm five minutes worth of something <laughs> to say. Which no, which you and I both are—I uh, don't know if guilty is the right way of putting it—but we definitely, uh, I think, <laughs> try to always find an angle on something, even if maybe it is not the most remarkable thing that we've played. At the same time, though, finding an angle and still being honest about our overall uh, overall thoughts on it. Yeah, yeah. So good stuff. Well done, Reedy. <laughs> 
But uh, let's move on to your final pick for the month. And I got to say, it's quite the uh, quite the final game of yours for the month to chat about. Yeah, I mean, even I was like, yeah, <laughs> it it feels like a running joke at home when my son is present for like playing these games. Is he will walk away during the visual novel games because he doesn't like them. He finds them boring, and that usually means they're good. <laughs> so, um, but this, 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 you know, which is this game is, and I'll point out the name now because I just realized I hadn't. The River Runs Through Us, part one. Um, this is basically like a demo of a fully fledged game that will be coming. And so it's set in Western Massachusetts. Um, big props. There you go. <laughs> Didn't know that until I played it. But um, you play as a 20-something college student called Camlin who begins to hear the sounds of centuries-old flood through their audio equipment. Um, and this basically causes, like, nightmarish anxiety attacks, I suppose. You know, and they get set out to discover what the cause of it is and then tap into the... You know, ingrained tragedy that is sleeping in the hiking trails and rundown mills of the place. And you would think, okay, fair enough. But what is found in this, you know, slice of what will be the eventual full game is in its own right, really bloody good. Um, the things I had to say about it, especially were, We've covered visual novels before and, you know, lamented and praised different aspects of what they do to stand out in that regard. This, compared to any of the others, has a personality all of its own, you know? I know that they cite Oxenfree as an influence and I could feel it, you know, in the way the dialogue is because it feels personal. It feels like a person talking, not like a script, you know? There there are bad jokes, you know, there are random wandering thoughts about fucking Bigfoot <laughs> and shit like that. It it works, you know? It's like it... We, we've had games uh, on here and elsewhere that are the opposite of that. They, they feel so super stagey, super cheesy, whatever. This just felt really personable and and that really draws you into what it's doing but it's the way it tells this history behind this town you know and the flooding that's uh you know causing these hauntings if you will because this is a ghost story in effect and about people hearing these noises and affecting their everyday lives and how they're, you know, not sure if it's real or not. And the relationship between Camelin and their grand and their grandfather, especially here, is was their father, sorry, not grandfather, um is so sweetly done and again, just so personal that it really just draws you into the whole story so much that you, you want to know more. Because you want you want Camelin to get better. You want Camelin to figure it out, and you dread finding out what the fuck's going to go on with the father in that regard. Because it just you know there's troubling aspects to that as it goes on. 
And I was so, so into it. And I hated that it ended. Yeah, at that <laughs> yeah, point it did. I, I, which it's is like having the rug pulled out from under you because you're enjoying it so much. I know. And just, so the big thing I have to mention here is like, you know, visual novels work by having a, a visual component. You know, the writing is good. That's great. But you need something that, it's distinctly you. Now, most visual novels take, you know, the anime route, whatever, or they just do basic background images, whatever we've seen both done. But here, you know, they smartly use you know, places and locations from real life in their own real life. You know, like a, a friend's apartment stands in for theirs, you know, and stuff like that. And it really just makes it feel like a really professional job. I know it sounds condescending to say about the project, but it does, doesn't it? I don't, I don't think so because, you know, like you had mentioned, we've played these types of experiences that have good writing before, mm. right? But it's more so that not only is the writing here great, but it's very personable. As you said, it doesn't feel like it's just a wall of, you know, descriptive text mm. essentially, but it feels as if you're in that person's shoes and you're living through this experience. But Every single, you know, again, talking about previously we had, I had been recommending us listen to like ambient music to try to match some of the prose that we were reading, right? But in this, not only is the audio, whether it be ambient or otherwise, included in the experience, so it's playing off of whatever the uh, environment is, but also each of the images, it doesn't just feel like a stock image. It feels like a place that this person's actually been, which adds something to that setting of not only... Are they talking about a location, not just like early on without, you know, getting too far into spoilers early on, your character visits a coffee shop and rather than just describing a generic coffee shop, they're describing the types of things that are hanging on the walls. The fact that they're promoting like uh, labor rights for employees and things like that, like that is so much more interesting and so much more encompassing of a specific place rather than just like describing a generic coffee shop. Oh, I'm having a this and somebody over there is having a scope, that type of thing, right? It's very much giving a unique identity to a location rather than just spending time describing the locale. And then of course you have this whole folklore aspect um, that I really, really like. I just think that it does a great job of instilling that, but it never overshadows the personable nature, like you said, about the protagonist, their father, other characters that they might meet, relation to the folklore spreading their experience and what they're reading online. I think it does a really great job of being this all-encompassing thing that has probably the highest production value we've seen in one of these, you know, visual uh, interactive novels or experiences. And I mean, granted, I'm also a sucker for anything set in New England. I mean, Western Massachusetts is where I went to school and all of the locales that are in this game, it looks like where I went to college, basically. So I was kind of like, oh, I'm going to go explore this old mill building. It's like, oh, I lived in a building that looks like this, or I went to class (laughs) in a building that looks like this. So it kind of felt like I was just revisiting my own stomping grounds. But the way in which they're able to make these very generic and per se environments like unnerving is the way that I at times maybe felt about these old mill buildings. And then the ways in which they're able to incorporate a real world event that happened and Mm -hmm. make that the basis for folklore, but never make this feel like it gets bogged down in like 
needless exposition or like a history lesson or something like that. Like there is this very, you know, much as uh, the the river that runs through us, like it is a very fluid storytelling in the sense of it going from personable to the folklore to a little bit of backstory on New England and mill towns and this, and, uh, this area. And I think that it makes for something that feels like a much bigger slice than we're used to, I think, for yeah. a lot of these bite-sized experiences. I was surprised how long it went on for and how much it gave us because mm. it really does do that fantastic job of as soon as you get that, you know, that stinger at the end where it's like, okay, and there's going to be more, but then it kind of cuts off abruptly. Yeah. You're kind of just like, oh, what I wouldn't give for another five minutes, another 10 minutes in this yeah. world and just further encompassing uh, this mystery and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, it's just such an admirable project in that regard and yeah, I just want more straight yeah. away which is just the horror aspect of it is so well done as well because it you know it's not in your face it's very much like the haunting kind of horror that I think it was on here that we discussed this before I really like that you know I like to have something that feels more soulful and more personal but also it be something that is all encompassing in the place you grew up, you know, like your connection to it. And this just gets it so well and gets the idea of what the understanding of that should be. And yeah, I, I was floored by what it did. I, I just think it, you know, there's so much I, I want to see from this world still, you know, and, it's a, such an impressive thing, and I, I, we've we've had many impressive things on horror bites, but yeah, I I really 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 want to see the rest of this play. <laughs> Absolutely, and I think overall, what is the best example of good writing is it being multifaceted in the tone, because you know, mm. obviously, this overall is a haunting story, but the reality is is that. For an experience like this, that is probably, you know, at the end of the day, not going to be bite-sized. I would bet that this is an experience that, I mean, how long did it take you to play this demo, quote-unquote? Because it took me about half an hour. Yeah, um, at least. Yeah, and at so least, uh... I would venture that the final experience could be, you know, 90 minutes, maybe even a little bit longer than that, just based off of the time with the demo that was spent and how it really, as well of a job as establishing all the things we've mentioned, like it was only 30 minutes. And yet you don't feel like you generally learned a great deal about the folklore, just enough that you're like, okay, this is what's happening more than likely. This is how it's, you know, displaying itself amongst the community. But at the same time, you feel like you're just scratching the surface. Mm -hmm. And what I think is really telling about the quality of the writing and it being so remarkable is that it balances the haunting aspect. It balances the personable aspect. But then it also has this really fantastic sense of humor that, you know, feeds into the personableness of it. Like, yes. this is a protagonist that within a short amount of time, you get a good sense of who they are and you don't want to leave them, right? Like you had said. Yes. And I think a big part of that is like the humor that comes across. I think that, you know, she could be best described as being like a pun queen, essentially, where it's like even the character themselves comments on it. Right. They keep saying like, that's enough puns for now and using like a lot of water puns and especially, yeah. you know, the parts of New England that she, that they're in. Uh, 
you know, dealing with bodies of water and things like that, you can kind of imagine. But one of the lines that stood out to me was during the grocery store talking about, you know, the history of the flood that occurred in their area and how that had in, you know, this devastating effect on not only people, but on, you know, future generations of people. And I think the line was like, as I ponder the multiverse of, uh, of piss or something, cause it's like, she's in the, a bathroom and just like exploring and thinking it's haunted. And like, there's so many wor- like phrases like that, that are just so hilarious to me throughout this that are so matter of fact, and then moves on to the next thing. And it just does a great job. I think of feeling like somebody that, is very, you know, they have a realization that something strange is going on, but they're taking it in stride in a way that, you know, a much younger person would kind of like you said with Oxenfree, right? That being an influence, it's taking everything in stride and not almost kind of like, I don't know, kind of talking yourself down from something ominous happening because you're like, oh, well, if I make a joke about it, it'll dispel my notions of fear. It's like a a defense mechanism almost. And, you know, for me, so much of that felt like, you know, relatable, you know, I suppose. Yeah, Just absolutely. The way, and, you know, I think it's been said the best stuff is like when you can make something that is very personal to you, feel very relatable to other people. Um, that's an art in itself. And this is something that gets that absolutely. And... I think one of the most touching moments for me in this is just the idea that Cameron doesn't want to hurt their father by divulging the the horrid things that are going on in their brain, you know, about this because they're worried about them, you know, like that, which Jesus, you know, that is properly relatable stuff. You know, that Mm -hmm. that is something that is, feels very real and, ingrained in what most people will feel like you know they don't want to burden other people with their problems because you know they'll shrug it off and go oh i can deal with it i can do that you know they can't really deal with it but they don't want to give that hassle to someone else and while that you know this is an extreme example of that it it does just touch upon that you know and i i was just so in love with the idea of what that was doing you know the idea that it had this very human side to it that made the things happening to Cowan just more traumatic and more upsetting because why wouldn't it be you know it's like mm. it's someone who's doing their best trying their best you know they are just a person they're not you know some atypical hero they're not some Andy here and nothing like that. They are just a person. And not for the first time citing this on this very podcast, but it brings me back to TM Wright's um, books on The Last Vampire, uh, Manhattan Ghost Story and things like that, where there's this real tragic human element to supernatural goings on that takes it beyond what it is. And yeah, anything that gets that straight away is like, yeah, I'm very much endeared to it. And this is in that ballpark. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely one that we will definitely have to revisit, you know, whether it be at the end of this year or, you know, hopefully next year when they kind of get around to the, uh, 
the final release, but definitely Good, a promising yeah, start. It, I mean, if they do and it's next year, brilliant, because then it, it's got a good shout already in being there next year, at end of year. That's for sure. But, you know, that despite how um, <laughs> bombastic we've been about that, it's not the last game, is it? <laughs> we, <got Yeah>. <laughs> we, we still have one more pick from you. Yeah, which I think, you know, it's very different style experience, but it was definitely yeah. one of the highlights of my month and hopefully of your month. That being uh, a demo for a game called The Pale by mm. Video One, which is available on Steam and Itch.io, in which you play Arthur, who's just gotten a job as a lighthouse keeper on The Pale, which is an abandoned island off the coast of Maine. Another big, uh, big month for New England here. <laughs> I promise I'm not, we're not forcing that. Uh, from my, uh, well, you see, there aren't many, there aren't, there aren't many horror games set in Bournemouth. So yeah. I, I can't really have that sort of, uh, pull, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, with the pale, you know, you're going to be this lighthouse keeper. And as is usually the case when anybody finds themselves solo on an island, things quickly, uh, devolve into uncovering the mystery mm-hmm. and horrors of said island. Um, this one is presented as, you know, a homage to 90 survival horror games, PSX style graphics, third person fixed camera angles. And, you know, we've obviously covered several games and we've outside of this podcast, yeah. of course, played many games that serve as homages to that classic RE Silent Hill style. People are probably sick of me introing games like this by now. But <laughs> I will say that not only am I completely taken with this setting because, you know, previously, whether it was probably two months ago now, we covered a game called The Lighthouse that notably was very reminiscent of Robert Eggers' film, The Lighthouse. Here, you know, it doesn't have that black and white aesthetic. It's not first person, but I think it captures the same essence of an island, even if this is in the modern day. You know, it captures that sense of isolation, the sense that from the get-go, you feel the oppression of that environment. Whether or not that place ends up being haunted, right? You're not only by yourself, but you're in this place that help is hours, if not days away. The weather is already, you know, a pretty drastic, uh, drastic thing to grapple with while you're there before anything supernatural even happens. So it does capture what I would assume is a very stressful place to be right out of the gate. But at the same time, it builds upon that with a really great sense of atmosphere. And this has a surprising level of depth in terms of the lighting, the scope of the island itself. You're not just kind of like walking around a lighthouse. You're literally exploring this island, visiting several locales that are all fundamental to the operation of the lighthouse. And it does a really great job of utilizing those fixed camera angles. It feels like that this game was developed by somebody that has a great deal of insight or just they have almost like a filmmaker's mind in the sense of capturing the best way to portray a specific scene, if you will, or a specific environment um, and giving the viewer or the player the best sort of view on that, whether the tone is supposed to be ominous informative of the overall geography of the environment and whatnot. Um, It felt like somebody that has been making games for a while. And that I think was most impressive because again, we've played plenty of games that have this aesthetic that they strive to be a homage. But at the end of the day, sometimes they kind of just feel like, Oh, well this feels more like a filter than a fundamental understanding of 
executing on these staples of classic survival horror. Um, yeah. And I think that not only from the presentation of the game, but also the depth of the mechanics. And when I say depth, again, if you've played any big budget survival horror game, you're going to be like, well, those sound like standard mechanics. But again, for this being, this is a demo, but being a bite-sized experience out of the gate, you're not always expecting things to have a lot of the same, you know, general fundamentals that come with fully polished final products. So, you know, it has that classic survival horror inventory system where you can go through everything. You can, you know, obviously examine it, inspect it and whatnot. It's got a map, of course, to give you the overview of the island, but also it has a journal, which, you know, is again, not necessarily a groundbreaking uh, mechanic, but in something like this, it taps into the mechanic in the best way possible. And it provides extra insight into the player, into their setting and their own thought process in a way that doesn't have to be given in exposition or in a cutscene, right? Kind right. of going through the journal and it's a great way to keep track of objectives of, you know, the current direction that they should be heading in or area. But at the same time, it gives you insight into the protagonist that I really like. Cause you know, Right out of the gate, you're just some guy that's taking what seems to be like the least desirable job ever, and you mm -hmm. get to learn a little bit about them. And again, this is a, a demo, essentially, of the full product that we'll get hopefully next year, but it gives you just little inklings of who this person was beforehand, and who knows if they're going to delve into that more in the final, but just establishing this as being a person rather than sort of just like a shallow husk, if you will. You know what I mean? Like there are plenty of games where they don't have to be folk character focused, not even saying that the pale has to inevitably be super character focused, but any semblance of like little tidbits of who this person is before you meet them, I find to go a long way, no matter how, you know, how cliched it might be, or even how little detail is given. I think just giving you a semblance of who this person could be or what they might have dealt with pre uh, previously does a great job, I think, at just establishing that this is a person rather than just another, yes. you know, blank slate, if you will. Hmm. Uh, before I get into more of this, you know, the later half <laughs> of it, how did you, uh, how did you find the pale? So, yeah, I, I just want to bring up um, when you say, obviously, the lighthouse is the go-to thinking behind games like this is uh, the other one it made me think of is cold skin. You know, oh yeah. That was yeah. the shutter exclusive, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is like, again, same idea, same principle, you know, but came before the lighthouse, you know, man isolated on a lighthouse island, mermaids, etc. Um, and creatures like that. So that is what it gave me a more revival. But, um, Beyond that, you know, I think it really leans into the retro survival horror vibe by having, you know, this shoddy thrown together appeal. You know, I just think you know, the dialogue is quite clunky, but still manages to create escalating dread when it should. You know, it sets up the, the next act that we haven't seen, you know, really well. Um, and that, that's great. I, I think it does all the, it ticks those boxes brilliantly. I think when you finally get to a, the reveal of what you're, you're up against creature wise, that for me was t a tad underwhelming. 
You know, I think the design of it was just a bit, you know, whatever. But they then went and made sure that that worked a bit better in those final moments with that sort of crowd of them, you know, that yeah. you get. And then it becomes like, oh, okay, now I want to know. Now I want to know. And that's why I was saying, you know, it sets up the next act brilliantly because yeah. you are instantly like, okay, well, what happens next? Where is it? And more than ever, you know, we were just talking with uh, the last game that River runs through us that, you know, you are executing the story in a way that you really, really, really want to see the next bit. And this gets that too, um, but in a more traditional way, I suppose, because it feels very Silent Hill. And I know that's a horrible crutch to put on a game, but in the way it goes from normalcy to dread to what the fuck is this? And then just drops it. You know, that is exactly how every good Silent Hill starts. You know? I would I would say channels like we talked about recently, the glass staircase. Mm. It has that dreamlike Fulci-esque in, you know, presenting an environment. I guess glass staircase probably from the get-go, it's a more of a uh, it's a shorter experience, so it gets to it quicker. But I think that the pale does a good job of establishing the setting of making it feel oppressive without mm. getting the supernatural. Again, it's a demo, but in terms of, you know, having it be this established oppressive place. And then the last three minutes of the demo are the overt supernatural part. And before you have that massive ending, which I think is probably one of my favorite endings to a demo in a while that I've seen. And actually the developer has a YouTube channel where they did like a 10 or 15 minute uh, dev diary on yeah. it that I'll link you once we're done recording that I thought was really interesting and just seeing them break down the different aspects of the demo and what went into the design and whatnot. Um, also a really informative and well-constructed video that I wish we had more of those sort of insights mm. into these types of, you know, bite-sized experiences and whatnot. But I think overall it does a good job of introducing the overt supernatural element, but then that's not the climax of the experience, right? You kind of, and I don't really necessarily want to spoil it for people because I think it is a really great job at introducing something that's more undeniable horror and then taking a breath and then giving you something that applies to that dreamlike logic, like Fulci yeah. or something like that, where they take that introduction of horror and then multiply it by, you know, 50 or something, which makes for a fantastic and genuinely terrifying climax. I thought it did. A, and again, it's successful at doing that because it doesn't beat you over the head with the horror aspects out the gate but also they go the distance in establishing that atmosphere and that setting and all the things that I've, you know, gone on at nauseam about at this point. But it really was a highlight of my month. And I think probably one of the better demos that we've covered on here, just because it really did capitalize on, you know, that Silent Hill, uh, let's say that Silent Hill benchmark in terms of yeah, being... I think it acts in that way, especially because... I think of the way the original Silent Hill it has that first sort of act end with the, all the, being surrounded by the fucking nightmare babies, you know, and that felt exactly like that. 
and I, I, so in this game, the way it ends. So yeah, the when a game captures it that well, it deserves praise for sure. I'm also a sucker for any horror game that can put humor into it. And this one, I think, again, they, without telling you a great deal about Arthur, they do a good job of establishing him. And then there are a mm. few moments of dialogue that are like pretty funny. And I think that it makes it a character that even if you don't know their whole backstory up until that point, it's still somebody that you can be like, okay, I can be invested in this person because at least they're giving me a laugh periodically and whatnot. Yeah. I'm always a sucker for that. Yeah, and the dialogue, whilst not you know spoken, is just has that cheesy effort to it that just makes it endearing, mm. and, and you know it always has that low rent horror vibe that works really well if you understand it. So yeah, yeah, it's a really good one. So while that's you know our final game for this month. A bit of feedback we got in previous months is that, uh, you know, having gone through all these games, it can be easy to forget what we've covered. So what I thought we'd do, uh, just to sort of end this, is quick recap on each game. I can't guarantee it being the order we've just done it, but um, <laughs> we were, because <laughs> we're not that professional. But um, we will just give an idea of who did it, what game it is, that sort of thing. So I will start by saying our first pick was Winter Coffin by Hodslate, uh, which was the open world fantasy blizzard survival game. Your first pick was? Yeah, mine was There's a Man in the Attic, which was about you know exploring your house and whether or not there is something creepy or not in the home. Uh, my second pick was Our Lady of the Drowned Lake Zero Reporter by Monumental, which sees an amateur reporter go to investigate the folklore of a lake and its creature mine was you vs cannibal clowns which very much feels like a mod for doom which has you running through essentially a fun house from hell and you have to find these keys to basically get to the end of the level before becoming meat for the cannibalistic clowns uh, my next pick was the catacombs which is basically as above so below the video game by pinworm as I'm moving, mine was a Landlord, which sees you in the role of a landlord cleaning up an apartment. And of course, there is a demonic spin to that. And I ended my selections with Signal Flow's The River Runs Through Us, Part 1, uh, which we are desperate to see more of, which is a historical-based horror ghost story a visual novel that is splendid and effectively our game of the month. Absolutely. And my final pick for the month was The Pale, which is a demo that hopefully we'll be able to revisit, much like we will with uh, The River Runs Through Us, in which you play a lighthouse keeper. And of course, there is uh, more to the island and the lighthouse than meets the eye of that very, you know, generic job title. But yeah, I guess that's a great way for us to, you know, not only end these episodes, but also as a reminder, underneath each of the episode links from now on that you'll see on Twitter. I will be linking the Itch.io or Steam page for each of the games that we've discussed. Also on BlayDisgusting.com, there's a blog that goes along with every episode that's released on Mondays that has links to those pages. And, you know, Neil has um, been running the Horror Bites page on Twitter now, which, you know, you've been doing for a while now, but we haven't had a chance to mention it. And you do a fantastic job of, you know, 
not only linking those games, but other bite-sized experiences yeah. that, you know, come up in between our Horror Bites episodes or even notable horror game releases that are, you know, occurring periodically. And it seems uh, on a daily basis, we get these new releases. And so it's great that we have something that can, you know, help maybe try to help spread the word about games that either others have missed, much like we do sometimes, but just getting that word out there about games that deserve uh, as much love as their uh, AAA counterparts. Yeah. And uh, also to mention, Safe Room's Horror Bites collection is a list on Itch.io, which captures everything that is available on Itch.io that we have covered so far in Horror Bites this year. Um, and that's great. So you can get everything from there and experience everything that we've played so far. We're hoping for the next one. We, we were thinking about doing it here, but we had a couple of snafus this month. But from next month, we will hopefully give the list out of the month's picks ahead of time so that mm-hmm. people can play those games and come back to us with their feedback and maybe we can feature more comments from people playing the games as we go into the show. Um, it means we'll probably have to pick stuff a bit earlier, but that's fine if it gets people sort of involved on this. I'd like this to be a more communal experience because I think it, it works as that. I mean, Harrison Abbott, you know, who's been on the show, is a, you know, a constant guy on that that will uh, play the games we've played and comment on what he felt about those games so to have more people do that would be amazing and as ever if you are an indie developer with a short horror game experience that feels that they'd like to be featured on an upcoming horror bites we do this monthly um please get in contact with us and we, we obviously consider that yeah, it was really great. The last you know month, I was playing catch up on emails and DMs and things of that nature from uh, after my vacation. But you know, having developers reach out and just be like giving us a shout about games. You know, granted, half of them we've uh, we had heard about and had covered already. But it's still great that you know mm. I think that it's been really rewarding to not only interact with listeners through Horror Bites, but also developers. Right, getting mm. to highlight experiences that. Um, I think, again, you know, for all the reasons that we've been saying for over the course of the year, games that just because they're short in stature, you can't necessarily fault them for that just because of the limitations around it. But they end up giving these experiences that are real standouts and are actually doing things that sometimes are even more interesting and unique than their uh, their big budget counterparts at the other end of the spectrum of uh, horror games and whatnot. But I feel... I forgot to mention the Twitter handle for the Horror Bites page, which you run, which is at Horror Bites underscore SR. And of course, if you follow Safe Room on Twitter, you can find it through there as well. And the usual, uh, whether or not you follow Neil and I, you can definitely uh, follow along and you know keep up with whatever recommendations Neil is throwing out or games that uh, we are going to cover on the show. Yeah, and please, you know, if you have again, if you have a short horror game that you want promoted. Please DM that account and uh, I would be happy to oblige. Absolutely. But, you know, until next time, Neil, as always, it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next Monday.